Welcome to episode 18 of the Invite Along podcast. Hello world, this is Juan. And this is Quentin. We're an international couple traveling around the world for love, work, and the pursuit of wonder. Through this podcast, we invite you to come along with us as we discover places near and far while treading lightly and not breaking the bank. Our Camino walk continues, and we start this week in the city of Bilbao, our last stop in the Basque Country. After that, we're walking our way to Cantabria and forming some beautiful friendships, and we can't wait to tell you all about it. Time for takeoff, where we give you the details of where we went and where we stayed. We ended last week at an albergue a few kilometers past Guernica. The following day, we landed in Bilbao, about 25 kilometers further, the capital of the Basque Country. Here we used our annual $300 Marriott credit to stay two nights at the Hotel Ercia, part of the Marriott's autograph collection. This credit was a benefit of the American Express Marriott Bonvoy Brilliant Card, but as of this September, it is not a benefit anymore, so do not apply for this card hoping for this benefit. It has been replaced with a dining credit instead. After these relaxing two days in Bilbao, we had a quick pit stop in the suburb of Portugarete before setting off for Castro Diales, the first big town in the next region of Cantabria. From there we made our way west, walking most of the way of course, until we reached an albergue in the small town of Guemes. We did skip a bit of walking on two occasions. We took the metro from the center of Bilbao to Portugalete, and we took a bus for about 8 kilometers outside of Castro Diales. In both cases, we made that choice because the walk was along industrial sprawl and or along the highway, so it was really not scenic and slightly dangerous. Now for in-flight entertainment, no surprise here. Most of our days consisted of walking from place to place, but with slow travel came some great experiences. So first up, let's talk about the walk from Guernica to Bilbao. Guernica is a historic city and a very important city for the Basque people. And here we learned all about the Guernica Oak, which is a place where leaders have come under to meet and discuss policies for the region for many hundreds of years. And we learned about the Spanish Civil War, which happened from 1936 to 1939, and the bombing of Guernica, which occurred in 1937 under the Franco regime. And this bombing actually inspired the famous painting by Picasso, also named Guernica, which showcased the brutality and senselessness of war and has been now used as a symbol of all wars. So that was a sobering experience, but it was great to see the city of Guernica now being rebuilt after these years. And it's a very vibrant city full of kids. And it was just a really interesting place to walk through. Yeah, absolutely. And on a more positive note, after Guernica, we actually spent quite a lot of our way walking to Bilbao, uh, meeting with friends and walking along with them, uh, namely Sam, Ted and Javier, which were all people we had met before. And it really made us realize how walking along with other people makes the time go so much quicker. The walk from Guernica to Bilbao was the longest walk to date, over 30 kilometers with a big climb in the middle, but it really did not feel like it, because we were just 
you know, with other people chatting about all sorts of things. And this is really something that we've learned to appreciate on the Camino. Once we reached Bobel, we walked along the gorgeous old town, which is by the river. And of course, we had to hit up Gelati Gelati, the best ice cream shop in Bilbao, because it was a very hot day, we had come a long way, and Sam had never eaten gelato before, so of course we had to go there, and we went with our backpacks and everything. Bilbao is filled with beautiful architecture, good food, and good vibes. Yeah, it is a very lively old town, absolutely beautiful. And I really like cities like Bilbao that sort of are on a lot of different levels. You have like a lot of stairs and climbs and all that that go through the city and it really makes you, it gives this feel of a very full city. The downtown where we're staying at the Hotel Asia was definitely quieter because the downtown is separate from the old town, but it was still a very nice place. And of course, the crown and jewel of Bilbao that we had to check out was the Guggenheim Museum. Now, the Guggenheim Museum is an offshoot of the original New York Museum. It is a contemporary art museum, and it had a lot of people, even though we arrived relatively late in the day, uh, various exhibits. For us, that was actually maybe the first time we were surrounded by that many people in about two or three weeks, so there was a bit of an adjustment period. It felt like a lot at first. There are various exhibits, essentially three main exhibits. The first one was about using different elements to create art, which we did not really gel that much with because it was a bit hard to follow and the explanations were just not there, uh, which was a bit of a shame. I really like when contemporary art museums take the time to instruct people about how to approach art of that kind, and here that wasn't really the case. However, the other exhibit on the first floor was The Matter of Time by Richard Serra, which had this massive... Um, I think corrugated iron sculptures that you can walk through and these ones are really really great and you do not need to understand anything about contemporary art to just walk through it and feel disoriented and feel like you're in a different place. It works very well. On the second floor there was also a very interesting exhibit and actually not contemporary at all I would say. It was about essentially the history of car design. So you saw from like the very first cars to the latest Formula One stuff and neither of us are particularly into cars, but it was very interesting to see how those designs evolved and the sort of links that were between how cars were thought of and how, in general, architecture was thought of, art was thought of. You know, you get to the 50s, you have a different aesthetic, you have a different way of thinking, city life, suburban life, etc. And that also has an impact on how cars are thought of. I thought it was actually a very nice exhibit on a topic that I didn't know much about. Yeah, it was really unexpected, and it's a temporary exhibit. I'm not sure when it ends, but I think definitely before the end of 2022. Bobel is also a city well-known for other aspects of design, both in architecture as well as industrial design and just design in general. Our hotel was really close to a design and culture center called Ascuna Suntoa, which is a beautiful landmark building. There is supposedly a swimming pool with a glass floor, which we could not find. And that actually ties to the theme of this building. We found it really confusing to navigate, even though it looked really cool. It had many pillars holding up the structure of the building, and each pillar had a different design. So that was very cool. And they had a gift shop, of course, showcasing Basque designers. 
but maybe over or under design because we couldn't really navigate the building. But regardless, it was still a nice spot of shade because it was 40 degrees that day, if you remember. And this place was shaded or partially air conditioned, so that was good. And then we also visited the historic La Ribera Market. So this is a covered indoor market with many floors, and they sell fish, produce, all sorts of stuff. And they have a food court that is open until, I think, 12 a.m. But because we visited on a Sunday, we only got to visit the food court. So that was the only part of the building that was open, which was fine because the point of our visit to this market was actually to eat our way around the pincho selection there. And that's exactly what we did. And it was fantastic. And I highly recommend going there to sample some pinchos if you are not used to ordering them at pubs and you're a little confused about how to do that. This is kind of a one-stop shop for Basque pinchos. From there, we left Bilbao to go to a suburban area called Portugalete. And from Portugalete, we walked along a pedestrian path for about 12 kilometers this was an elevated pedestrian path right over the highway. So it was kind of boring and not the most scenic, but very easy on the feet. And then later that day, we walked seven kilometers actually along the highway, which was the route for the Camino, but we found that it was very dangerous. And especially around like a roundabout area, because you had to cross the roundabout as a pedestrian. So that was kind of unpleasant. And everyone we ran into said that that was the worst seven kilometers so far before you arrive into the town of Castro Ordealis. Right. And once in Castro Ordealis, our first stop in Cantabria, as we've explained before, we actually had a very important event. We already mentioned that we were walking with our friend Henning from Germany, who we shared a hotel with uh, last week. Well, he was actually celebrating his birthday in Gastrodialis, and his boyfriend Mika, who's also German, uh, came to visit him. They actually sort of met up in Bilbao. We did not see them there, but we did meet up in Gastrodialis and had a lovely birthday dinner with all the various people we had already met on the Camino. From there, the following day, we made our way to Noja, uh, which is a town about 35-40 kilometers away from Castro Diales, did it in two days, and we kept on bumping actually into Henning and Mika, so we decided to kind of walk together and stop at the same albergues. It is always a bit easier because, as we explained, you do not feel the time pass quite as, quite as much, and also in terms of finding places to stay and figuring out the logistics, you know, four heads are better than two. We had some beautiful sights along the way. We were walking mostly by the coast with really precipice views essentially on the cliffs. So you could really see the cliffs right in front of you. You had a lot of beaches. I wouldn't say the weather was necessarily good for the beach, but in general, it was quite beautiful. There was one spot that was the really toughest uh, scramble to date, I would say, and that's called Punta del Brusco. It is located between Laredo and Noja, so we had it on the second day, we stopped in Laredo, and the following day we climbed this Punta de Brusco. It is not particularly high or particularly long, but it is quite steep and it is clearly a fairly new path and you kind of have to scramble and kind of climb your way up the stones just really on the edge of this cliff. So you really feel like if you make a wrong move, you might actually fall and die. 
And that's the first time I really felt a bit unsafe uh, on a nature walk in the Camino. I felt unsafe along the highway, but this time was the first time I was like, oh, this is actually not an easy walk uh, as we're going around. But we made it. Right. I would say what made it particularly difficult is the fact that there was sand. It was kind of on a dune. So it was hard to get traction from your shoe and grip to make sure that you are sure-footed every step of the way. So I really relied on my poles to like stab into the shrubs and give myself another contact point on this cliff. But overall, it was fine. We did make it. It is not recommended that you do this path when the weather is bad because it's very dangerous, actually. And we ran into some friends a few days later who said that there was a lady who was not equipped. She was not walking the Camino. She was just hiking and she was wearing flats. And when she got to the top of the mountain, she couldn't get down and was very scared. So they had to kind of escort her down this cliff. So definitely wear the right shoes. Grab your hiking poles if you have them and do it slowly on a nice weather day. Once we descended Punta del Brusco, we actually landed on a nude beach. So this is uh, caught me a little off guard. I just didn't expect there to be nude beaches, but here we are. And my prudish American sensibility was a little bit uh, shaken, <laughs> but it's all good. You know, I'm not used to nude beaches, but people here are. So just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, the awkward bit was just that there were a couple nude people and we were walking through with all our pack, you know, dressed because we've been walking 20 kilometers. Uh, if anything, we felt like we were intru intruding and we're going to wear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we did decide to have a beach day near Noha and this beach was beautiful. We actually stopped there with Henning and Mika so we can have a nice little short day walk together and a beach day. And it was needed. It was one of the last, I would say, super hot afternoons we've had now that we're well into September. And we were still able to go into the water. Um, there was really fun waves to jump over. There was these like cool stone formations as well. And I got to play in the tidal pools. And I discovered that if you put your hand in a tidal pool and there's cute little shrimp, they will actually come and investigate and tickle your palm. So that was really fun. And after this day in Noha, the beach, we decided to put some more kilometers behind us and we made our way to Guemis. Uh, Guemis was essentially the last stop before the larger city of Santander. Uh, it was another beautiful walk with Henning and Mika again. We are so grateful that they were there with us along the way. We had a very nice lunch in Guemis. In general, it was a pretty uneventful walk. And yeah, we were really glad. But what's important is that in Guemis, there is a particular albergue that is quite famous on the Camino del Norte. That's right. This is probably the most well-known albergue on the Camino del Norte. It's called La Campaña de Abuelo Puerto, and the host is a retired priest named Ernesto. He has traveled all over the world. He's really good at taking photos, and I think he even has books on sale of his photography. But every night before dinner time, he has a big speech about his personal philosophy and his ideas of solidarity, global community, etc. Um, and mental fortitude. I remember that. It was really hammered home. But he spoke in Spanish and he asked for volunteers to translate Spanish to English. 
And I guess the bilingual Spanish English folks were a little bit nervous that evening, so we ended up with a really lovely. German boy named Daniel, who did the best that he could translating Ernesto's messages, but then you know he was talking quite a lot and quite in detail, so some things probably got lost in translation. But it's okay. Point is, there were something like over eighty pilgrims from over twenty countries there that evening, all sitting around. We had a communal meal. It was a very large facility run by many volunteers, and everyone there knew exactly what other people were going through at the time because we all felt the same fatigue and the same excitement to be gathered in this iconic pit stop. So it did feel a bit like a big family. All in all, we had a really good time. I would say it is just the. The Ernesto philosophy was a bit, you know, a bit of a mix of all sorts of things. All in all, very positive. And some people described it as cultish in reviews online, and I really don't think it's a fair assessment. I've heard people that were cultish, and that's not like it. He just tries to impart his knowledge to other people, and I think that's, you know, that's、uh, quite admirable. I will say though, the talk starts at seven thirty, I believe. And that's already quite late for people to eat dinner. But you know, the talk lasted something like an hour and fifteen with the translation. So there was one pilgrim who was so tired she fell asleep and started softly snoring. So I had to wake her up during Ernesto's speech. He didn't seem bothered, though. I'm sure it happens a lot. All in all, it was a really good time. But now, of course, it's time to discuss the things that went wrong in our section: turbulence. So Juan, what was it for you this week? Okay, the first item was not about us, but about one of our friends who we walk a bit with on the Camino. His name is Paolo, and we ran into him as he was doing the police report of almost getting robbed in Bilbao. So he had a necklace that his grandmother gave him to walk the pilgrimage. He's from Italy. And there was somebody who came up to him in the middle of the street, like giving him a little hug and being like, "Hey, buddy," but trying to undo the clasp on his necklace. So he thankfully recognized what the guy was doing, and the police were right there. So he was able to stop the thief, and the guy ran away. But the worst part wasn't just the, the attempted robbery, but rather the way the police got really racist really fast because they. You know, immediately started to say how horrible、uh, immigrants from Northern Africa was, and it was just—it was not cool. It was really racist. So that happened in Bilbao. And then another thing was the night in Noha by the beach. You know, when we had the beach day, it was quite hot, and there was a lot of mosquitoes. So we did not sleep super well because. We open the window to let some air in, but there's no screens typically on Spanish windows. So of course, if you let in the air, you also let in mosquitoes. So that was an uncomfortable night of sleep. And also near this albergue in Noha, there was not a lot of food options, at least not before 9 p.m. So we ordered pizza before going to bed, and that was a bit big mistake on my part. I ate the whole pizza and then woke up in the middle of the night feeling super ill because my body was still trying to digest this greasy food at 2 a.m. and I thought I was gonna vomit in the albergue. I did not, but it was just uncomfortable. Oh, and lastly, so. We, I'm not sure if this is exactly intended as a scam, but it felt a little scammy. 
So in Bilbao, I bought some souvenirs and postcards, along with some international stamps to send the postcards. But the stamps that I purchased are actually not stamps that the Spanish correos or the post office, the official post office, issues. It's issued by this third party, and actually, this company no longer exists. So I bought these stamps to send my postcards, but I. Don't think the Carrios would recognize these stamps, so they are actually just totally useless, and that's why my postcards are a little bit delayed. So I'm not super happy about that. But you know, along our entire travels, knock on wood, this is the first time something like this has happened. So in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge deal. For me,、uh, turbulence this week. The first one has it's a small thing, but we were in Portugalete, staying at an albergue, and we had actually, we were still kind of learning how to buy food properly for the following day. We kind of missed our shot, and essentially all we had for breakfast were two apples and a bit of yogurt, which is not really enough of a breakfast when you're supposed to walk like thirty kilometers the following day. But the problem is, in the morning, someone had stolen our apples, and I thought it was a really shitty way to start the day. We think we know who it was, and we don't think they necessarily stole the apples on purpose. We think maybe they grabbed them, thinking that they were just available. But all in all, we had very little for breakfast available, and we did not even have that. So we were not in the best of mood, especially because from Portugalete it was a good twelve, thirteen kilometers before we could hit any sort of cafe and had any sort of food, because as we explained. The entire walk from Portugalete is along the highway on a pedestrian path, so far away from any sort of cafe or bar. Not a big deal, but that really kind of soured、uh, the experience at the albergue for that day. On top of that, Juan already mentioned it for Noja, but that's also true for Portugalete and a couple of the other albergues we stayed at. This was a hot week in Bilbao, in particular. There was a bit of a heat wave. It climbed to thirty-five, thirty-six degrees Celsius, which is almost a hundred degrees Fahrenheit, and there is there are no fans, no AC in Albergues. They do not have that kind of money. All they have is a big room with twenty bunk beds and the windows wide open. That is not enough when it is thirty-five, thirty-six degrees to really cool down the room. So we slept quite badly for a few days, and we really realized how a bad night of sleep can have a dramatic impact on how we walk. The the day after Portugalete, we were so tired. I had slept maybe three hours, if that. Juan had not slept well either, and it was it took everything we had to just make our way to like a cafe, like I mentioned, like just to walk twelve kilometers. So yeah, good night of sleep, very important, and we learned that the hard way. The other thing, <laughs> it's a small detail, still talking about food. As soon as you leave.、Um, Bilbao, and I would say、uh, the Basque Country in general, the quality of the bread really goes down, which is a problem because a lot of meals are actually offered with bread in all of Spain or like everywhere we've been. When you buy some food, it's either on a piece of toast or a piece of bread, or there's like a bread roll that comes on the side, and it is dry and it is bland, and sometimes it actually costs money extra. That is not right. You do not get to sell <laughs> bread rolls that are. Like literally two days old, dry for a dollar forty or like a euro forty a piece. That is incorrect. That is morally wrong. <laughs>、uh, so that's that was the issue. 
And I think the last little turbulence we had uh, is related to what Juan was saying, which he, when in Noha we had those pizzas before going to bed. The issue for that is essentially the albergue was a bit far from the city, only 20 minutes or so, and it looked online like there were quite a few restaurants and supermarkets nearby, but actually they were either all closed or they opened very late, which does not really work for pilgrims. As pilgrims, we kind of need to be in bed by 10 p.m. because we need to get up at 6, 6.30, and we've just walked 25 kilometers. But if the restaurants open at 9 or at 9.30, you do not have time to eat at a restaurant before going to bed. So we had to order the pizzas, and that was a little turbulence that we kind of struggled to find this food. All right, now for a more positive note, we are flying high. What were the highlights this week? Quentin, kick us off. I think for me, a highlight was definitely having a longer stretch of walking with our friends Henning and Mika. We were able to walk with them for maybe three or four days, and it was just very lovely to have this sort of larger group. And again, I feel like it makes the walk go faster. You kind of because you're meeting a new person, you can exchange on things you haven't exchanged, uh, you know, you're learning information you haven't learned before. Just in general, you get to learn e- about each other. I think it's a very positive part of the Camino, and I'm really glad we got to experience that with the lovely Henning and Mika. And on top of that, the beautiful sights. Uh, Cantabria had really beautiful cliffside views, beautiful beaches, even the harsh climbs and, and whatnot gave us some beautiful scenery and some beautiful viewpoints. So all in all, I would say that. Of course, huge shout out to Henning and Mika, but Quentin basically covered the friendship aspects of our highlights this week. Uh, for me, I would say it was the beach day in Noha. Of course, we spend that with friends, so that made it more fun. But it was basically the last beach day we've had because it was the last hot weather that we've had. And it was nice to be able to jump into the Atlantic Ocean and bear the cold at that time and hop a few ways. It, it was really actually a good time. And then I would say a highlight, another highlight would be the La Cabana, Abuelo Puerto. Mm, I would say Ernesto was not necessarily my highlight because he had to go off somewhere. So he wasn't available in the evenings to chat as he normally is. But we were still able to chat with all the other fellow pilgrims there, and it was just really nice camaraderie and connection with all sorts of people who arrived on the same day as we did. So shout out to our new friends Terry and Karen and Christy and Sue. It was it was a good evening. Oh, and apparently there are rooms at this albergue that were kind of damp and moldy, but we lucked out and we were not in those rooms. We were in the big rooms that were part of the main house. So I guess that was lucky on our part. We heard folks who stayed in those smaller offshoot rooms did not have quite as good as of an experience there. And on top of flying high, this week again, we have some listener questions. Our friend Becca asks us the following. What is the most useful thing that we packed in our bag? Juan, what do you think? For me at this point, everything is absolutely a necessity. I weighed my bag yesterday. It was 10 point something kilos and that's with full water and food. So everything in my bag, 
for American listeners, that's about 20 pounds. And my bag itself is like four pounds. So everything is absolutely necessary, including our podcasting equipment. And we also did do a little trip to Decathlon in France before we started this trip to pick up some necessities. And we have been using them daily. This includes sleeping bags, our ponchos, poles, one of those camelback water things, and headlamps. And uh, one additional item that's not in my bag, rather it is on my bag that I've been using a lot, is the Hero Clip carabiner. It was pretty expensive, but I'm glad that I splurged because I've been using this carabiner at least at all the albergues just to hang up my night bag and my little fanny pack and headlamp, basically everything. So I'm really happy for the hero clip. And now we're also using it to strap on some grocery items onto Quentin's bag during the day. Yeah, that way Quentin can walk with 14 kilos instead of 12. No, are you really walking with 14? Yeah. Oh man, sorry. (laughs) That's okay. We need the food. We need to eat. Uh, But I would agree with what Juan says. Many of the items only really have one function, but it is a necessary one. For example, the headlamp, you would only use it if you need to walk out at night or you would use it to kind of pack your bag when it's still dark in the albergue. And out of respect for the people who are still sleeping around you, you use a headlamp usually with a red light instead of turning on the lights on the entire room. So those, or like the clothesline, for example, that we use only when we have to dry laundry and there is no dryer or clotheslines already available, we have a portative one. Those items are rarely necessary, but when they are, there's just no substitute for them. There's just no way we could walk at night without the headlamps. There's no way we could dry laundry without that little clothesline. You just have to have them in case you need them. Uh, I would say one thing that really helped... I wouldn't call it the most useful thing that we packed in our bag, but the most useful way of packing has been the one bag for bed system. Both of us in our bags, we have a smaller bag and that bag contains everything we need once we arrive at the albergue. That is clothes for the night, a towel for uh, the shower and a little toiletry bag for the shower and brushing teeth and whatnot. Once we open our main backpack, we just have to take this little bag, take our sleeping bag, which is a separate one, and that's it. Normally we do not have to touch anything else in our bag, so we don't have to completely undo everything that we have, and it's very practical this way. So one bag for bed system is maybe the most useful thing we have. And I also want to give a shout out to my sarong, what I call my sarong, which is a large towel that we've bought years ago when we went to Morocco, and I've used it for so many things. It's just a large towel, but I've used it as a blanket, as a beach towel, as a scarf, as a protection, as, you know, walking out of the shower. If you're familiar with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you will not be surprised to know that a towel is the one thing you need to carry with you. And I am indeed a fruit who knows where his towel is. <laughs> I'm glad you kept it. You know, we really argued back and forth whether we needed this or should we send it ahead to Santiago, we ended up sending my sarong, the exact same sarong, just in a different color, ahead and keeping one extra behind. And I'm very glad we made this decision and this compromise. Good job, honey. Yeah, I'm glad it worked out. Okay, Becca also asks, how do we manage blisters on the way? Okay, I'll answer this one first because I'm the one who's had blisters between the two of us. Han hasn't had any. And I would say they're actually not that big of an issue, all in all, because, I mean, maybe I've been lucky, but they've been, I would say, on areas of my feet where there's not too much pressure. 
there's maybe some friction but not pressure so it hasn't really been painful. All in all the blisters are not that big of an issue but I would say the two key things to do is one, monitor your feet. You know, every night, every morning I check, okay, is everything looking good? Are there some heat spots, some friction spot? Am I, can I see like the skin being rubbed raw or something like this? And two, moleskin. Moleskin is a great way to sort of prevent blisters. You put them on the spots that you think might turn into blisters and so far it has prevented them from happening. If you already have a blister and you do not have the equipment to safely, you know, uh, pop it or something, not that you should, putting moleskin on it is also a great way to prevent them from getting worse or from rubbing. All in all, monitor your feet and use moleskin. But really, it hasn't been that big of an issue, right? Right. I would say also we've been thinking about this for months, even ahead of our trip, and we did take a lot of care into choosing the right shoes and socks. So I am wearing these trail running shoes, ultras, that have a very wide toe box. And the reason why I picked these was because my toes and my feet, they're kind of wide. And when you squeeze your feet into a narrow toe box and going downhill, that's when you start getting the friction blisters on your toes. And that happened to me the last time I did a long distance walk and I was in Solomon shoes, which had narrower toe boxes. So I knew that this was my problem area or friction area. And I selected a shoe that would overcome this challenge. And of course, we're wearing merino wool socks, so darn tough socks and smart wool socks to keep our feet nice and dry. And these socks also dry very quickly after we wash them or even in the rain. So they've really helped as well. Yeah, and for me, my same logic, but my shoes are La Sportiva Wildcat. Unlike Juan, I actually have very thin feet, especially for a man. Uh, so it's kind of the opposite. I needed a shoe that had a pretty narrow toe box so my feet would not sort of sway side to side and avoid the sort of rubbing on one side or the other. As they are, they are really nicely contained within the, sh the shoe. And they actually, a good way to check is when you buy the shoes, and if you go to REI or even Decathlon, now they have that, they will have a little downhill slope for you to test your shoes on. You put on the shoes and you go into this fake rocky terrain that goes downhill and you can check if your feet are moving in the shoe. If they are not moving, that is a good sign that you are properly sort of, the feet are properly contained, I guess, and you will probably avoid blisters. Right. Now, just because you may not have blisters does not mean you do not have other aches and pains. And for me, this is something that I am kind of struggling with ongoingly after the second week, which is pains in my toes and in my plantar fascia, which is the arch of my feet. So this might be due to the fact that my shoes, both my sandals that I picked out, these Luna hiking sandals, and my actual trail running shoes are what's called barefoot style shoes, which means that they do not have a lot of support for your feet. And the point is to feel everything and also to build up your foot strength. So I think the pains are from just my feet exercising and getting stronger. Uh, I hope, instead of doing permanent damage. But I did buy a little Kong dog toy, you know, those like super hard rubber dog toy things, uh, because I couldn't find a, a massage ball. And I've been rolling out my feet on that and stretching them every day. I think it's getting better, fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, so I didn't anticipate this type of pain, but here, here we are. 
Yeah, and for me, my pain has actually mostly been in the shoulders. Even though I retrained not to put too much weight on my shoulders with a backpack, I just have a pretty bad back and it's a pain that I already had when we were traveling in Southeast Asia. It's sort of like a really kind of sharp pain uh, in my left shoulder. I think there's just a, a nerve that's getting um, pinched. And yeah, this is not a pain I was expecting, but I also use the massage bowl that's actually a dog toy to <laughs> to alleviate. And it works pretty well. It works well. Right. I also should say that we walk with our poles in part because the poles help you stand up straighter to have a better walking posture, but also because it takes a lot of weight off of your or it takes some weight off of your feet in downhills. So that accumulating over 40,000 steps or something a day actually does make a difference. So you're walking basically on a pair of legs plus this like half pair of legs from your poles. So distributing that weight across the poles instead of all on your feet. Oh, and stretching. We also stretch very regularly and that's really what does the trick, I think. I think I need to do better, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, me too. But Every morning, I would say we try to stretch at least for five minutes or so, and I can really feel the difference myself, at least. Okay, that's it for this week. Next time, we'll continue through Cantabria and make our way to the next region of Spain, Asturias. As usual, we have limited opportunities to record and upload, so episodes may be coming a bit late, um, especially since Wi-Fi is really not a given in the parts where we're walking. But in the meantime, you can keep in touch with us by following us on Instagram at InviteAlongPodcast. This week, you can also check out our latest reel about a day in the life of a pilgrim, what we call luxury style because this is not one where we stay at an albergue, and you can see what a day in our life looks like lately. And as always, you can also contact us by email at InvitedAlong at gmail.com for any questions. So long for now. Bye-bye.